Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Well, hi and welcome back. I don't know if you've ever thought about what firefighters need in terms of their own safety when they are fighting fires and and taking care of people and rescuing and so forth. But above all, they need water and they need breathing air in order to effectively perform their mission, saving lives. So today's show is going to give you some insights into how something called FARS, F-A-R-S, if you don't know what that is, don't feel bad, I didn't either. FARS is helping firefighters stay safe and do their jobs more effectively. Now you know what this orange hat means too. I am so thrilled to again have this show sponsored by TD Industries, a premier facilities and maintenance service and mechanical construction company. It's uh, headquartered in Dallas, Texas, with offices though throughout Texas and also in Phoenix, Arizona. TD was founded by a World War II veteran in 1946, been around a long time, and TD embraces what I love, which is a culture of servant leadership. Here's what's important about that. TD continually strives to seek strong, long-lasting relationships with their customers and their vendors and their partners. And one of those relationships is going to be involved with today's two guests that I have with me. So first of all, Andrew Kobe, I'm so Hi. glad to have you on the show, Andrew. Andrew, as Vice President of TD's Process Solutions, leads the team that specializes in what they call high purity solutions for mission critical buildings. And he'll tell you a little bit more about that. He'll be able to explain the simple terms of what FARS is and how their certified installers are making a difference with firefighting teams. And we also have with us today, Plano Fire Chief, Sam Greif. Welcome, Sam. Thank you. And Sam is going to talk about how this technology and partnering with TD is helping our firemen save lives. So now I can take my hat off and start the show and Andrew I want to ask you the first question which is would you please in fact talk about what FARS is and and how did TD become an, an expert in this? Yeah so FARS F-A-R and that's all capitalized is how you'll see it in the industry with a small s uh, is a firefighter air replenishment system okay. uh, so TD initially uh, was introduced to it uh, out in Arizona and then as uh, the local leaders here adopted it, uh, we really saw it as a system that, that fit our skill set very well and that we could partner with them to go install it in, the, you know, in, in buildings around North Texas. And so when you, um, well, first of all, you were the first, weren't you? The we were first? the first certified installer. Okay. Talk to us a little bit about 
how that is uh, important in mission critical buildings and what do you mean by that? Yeah, so uh, the group that I support, the, the group of partners at TD Industries that I support, uh, focuses on mission critical facilities. So these are typically f facilities that operate 24-7, 365. A lot of them are high-tech manufacturers that may be making uh, consumer devices for your phone, uh, maybe making a uh, manufacturing a, a drug product in the in the pharmaceutical market. Um, and this, as we talk about mission critical, um, we view FARS as a mission critical um, system. If you think about where these systems are used, and we'll talk about that a little bit, mm -hmm. um, it really connected well with the mission critical piece because there's probably nothing more critical uh, than what Sam and his team are doing uh, when they're called upon for a rescue. And so how are you partnering with the fire department? How did all that happen? So um, we were working with a, uh, a supplier of these systems and um, it was brought on uh, by the code uh, and code compliance and, and that, that's where our specialty lies is to ensure that owners and developers are able to build buildings that are in compliance with code. And as the, the FARS was introduced, uh, we did research to understand what these systems uh, components are, what the design uh, uh, entails, and and became the expert in it, and uh, we've been had some very successful projects starting in Plano here in Texas. So, how did the partnership uh, happen? Did you just pick up the phone and say, uh, Plano Chief Sam Greif, I think you ought to take a look at this? Yeah. How did that happen? So, the, the initial request actually came in through a, a general contractor. TD's a, a specialty uh, subcontractor, and, and we worked with that general contractor. And yeah, through the, the plan review, got connected with the, uh, with the city and, and got direction on, on where, we, where we start this journey together. Okay. I have to ask one last question before mm -hmm. I get to Sam, and that is, what is it? What does it look like? Where is yeah. it in the buildings? Like if I go into a building, how would I know if FARS <laughs> is in that building that's going to help it's firefighters? A, that's a great question. and, and Typically, as an occupant, you're not going to see it. Um, you know, we've had water risers in buildings for uh, fire suppression for years, and a lot of people haven't seen them. Unless maybe you have, maybe you're scared of an elevator and you've taken the stairs. Okay. Um, but but uh, uh, typically, these these systems reside in a stairwell uh, to where the rescue teams will be coming in and being able to connect their air supply uh, to that that local. Uh, uh, air replenishment nozzle. So uh, you're typically not going to see it. Okay, so Chief, would you take it from there? And your team is in fact on a rescue mission mm -hmm. and they need this. How did it happen before FARS and now what can they do? In What's a building the process? That, that doesn't have FARS, which mm -hmm. unfortunately is the majority of them, uh, the high rise. Uh, a typical air bottle, uh, when you're actively engaged in a firefight, uh, depending on how good a shape you're in, there's a lot of variables, but somewhere 15-20 minutes is all you're going to get out of that air bottle and then you're going to have to get wow. it replaced. Well, you can't replace it in a hot, smoky environment, no. so usually you will have to retreat back to an area of safety, which is usually the stairwell, um, and then there'll be what we call a bottle brigade. Someone has to physically carry up these bottles and they're they're not light and it takes a lot of human resource to get those bottles up to the floor in which you're going to need it or directly below the floor in which the the firefights mm -hmm. engage so it's a very labor intensive operation to take those bottles up 
versus having the FARS where when you step into that stairwell, you can immediately plug your SCBA, self-contained breathing apparatus mm-hmm. for our audience. Um, you can plug that in and fill your bottle up and then re-engage in the firefight again. So it, it takes out that home need to have a bottle brigade, which again, it's, it's extremely labor intensive. You could use up what we call a one alarm assignment, four engines and a couple of trucks uh, companies just to carry the bottles in mm-hmm. because it's just a very old-fashioned way in which to get bottles to the incident and uh, very time-consuming and it's chewing into the precious human resource that could be doing much more important things at that moment. Had no idea that it's only about 15 minutes and think about the think about the firefighters that are up on I don't know way high floors uh, how long now does it so i'm a firefighter and now it's in a fars building that's great mm-hmm. and so i find the stairwell and how long now does it take to give me more air and water uh well the water should be there automatically because of mm-hmm. the stamp pipes okay. those have been in the fire code for many years so that's we'll have that available and we'll literally carry our hose up a hose pack and tie into the to the water valve and then that gives us the hose necessary on that floor now we can go out and to answer your question probably just a couple of minutes to mm-hmm. be able to refill the bottle back up again and so uh, the whole you know having to take a knee as we say and it's a, it's a manual process so mm-hmm. there's steps to removing the bottle and putting the new bottle in before you can actively go back on air and, and so that mm-hmm. process not only getting mm-hmm. it up there but the changing out of the bottle can be time-consuming so this just negates all of the necessity for that i mean i if i was going to give you an analogy is uh it, before a far systems it's like going uh across a, a long travel distance by horse and buggy mm-hmm. and now <coughs> you're going by a high-speed sports car yeah. uh, that's how much of a difference it is having the far system in a building versus not having it so interesting so many little things that it's not a little thing but intricacies of um, different different industries doing different things and the public me being so naive I don't even think about the safety issue in terms of how they are getting the water why doesn't then this be a necessity in every building well and the reality is fire codes can be uh, challenging to a just get it into the code as we say and then once it's in the code cities have to then adopt that code Mm -hmm. and so we've been blessed Uh, Plano has always been a a city that embraces strong public safety and safety of our citizens Uh, and as as you alluded to earlier with Andrew I'm proud to say that the city of Plano was the first city in the state of Texas to have an operational forest system installed to date we have six operational systems and we have five Uh, currently that are are under construction that are being installed and every new building that comes in that meets the code requirements for the FARS will have them in the city of Plano so uh, we're excited about it Uh, hopefully someday it'll just be as commonplace as a sprinkler Mm -hmm. system or a standpipe but the reality is is there is an expense to it and uh, a lot of times there's a resistance uh, whether it be from the builders or from the building owner uh, different organizations uh, tend to be somewhat resistive of, of uh, codes and uh, you have to kind of get over that hurdle. So uh, that goes to innovation, you being an innovative leader and being a strong leader. How did you get into being a firefighter in the first place? Uh, 
I, I try to tell everybody it sounds corny, but just as uh, you know, a, a minister gets called to the cloth, uh, I knew at an early age I wanted to be a firefighter paramedic and uh, set my sights on it when I was about 15 years old. As soon as I got out of high school, I went to emergency medical technician uh, school, got out uh, you know, within the same year of graduating high school and went to work for the city's uh, Fort Worth uh, ambulance provider at the time and uh, then did that for four years till I got on the fire department. So, I mean, I've been doing this since I was 18 years old and uh, I don't ever want to do anything else. I love it. You've got to have passion to do what you're doing. It's, I am passionate about it, but it's uh, the old adage, if you find something you love doing, you'll never work a day in your life, it definitely holds true, true for me. What does it take to be a firefighter? What skills, what oh. attributes, you know? I'm sitting out here listening, let's say, somebody's listening to the show, and maybe they're thinking, oh, maybe my son might be good at that. Well, what does that look like? If I'm being totally candid, I mean, there's a joke in the fire service and we're, you know, somewhat, you know, we'll, we'll joke about ourselves a lot of times and we'll say strong back, weak mind, that's all you need. But that's that's <laughs> not the case. Uh, no. It's a very difficult job. It's physically demanding. So obviously you have to be in good physical shape and maintain that good physical mm -hmm. conditioning. But it's also way more cerebral than most people realize. Uh, sure. Most modern day firefighters, especially in a city like Plano that has the ambulance service underneath the fire department, we're paramedics. That's an extremely uh, arduous program to get through. Uh, it definitely takes a lot of brains to, to go through that and to keep up with the changing medicine side of it. Then you've got hazardous materials. You've got high angle uh, trench rescue, high angle rescue, uh, heavy rescue when cars, buses, or trains. I mean, there's a lot of specialties within the fire service, and um, there's a lot of cross training. So. You, you have to have a lot of grit and determination, uh, be physically fit, and contrary to what some might think, you, you actually got to have some brain cells mm -hmm. going around up in there, too. So. I'm sure you do. It's sort of a, a combination of everything. Yeah. And so what about you? How did you get into engineering? Yeah. Are you like him at high school at 15? You knew what you were going to do or what? Most definitely not. I grew up on a small dairy farm up in Michigan. and. Um, really on the engineering start side started by reverse engineering and, and thinking about a connection with you I, I got a fire truck when i was a little kid and rather than play with it i had to tear it apart to see what was on the inside of it and i don't think uh now that i'm older i joke about it with my parents but um thinking back then you know rather than enjoying it, it was always about figuring out how it works how it operates and um that kind of took me into school into engineering school and i've spent the rest of my life figuring out how things go back together that's called solutions. That's right. Now, when you joined TD, you were not doing what you're doing now. So how did that uh, career path happen for yeah, you? Yeah, so uh, the great thing about TD, when I... Uh, when I moved down here um, originally, it was really to, to chase the tower cranes. And uh, at that time, there was a lot of construction in, in Texas, and there still is, fortunately. Um, but when I came down here, I started with the engineering group. TD has a great engineering group, but really targeted a company where I knew there was opportunity outside of that current role. Um, and as I, I spent time within the engineering group, was working on healthcare facilities and mission critical facilities, uh, and that really led me into uh, into the field into the construction side mm. is there one one story maybe that of innovation and leadership because again I know that that's what TD is is uh, is known for is there one story in the work that you have done there that uh, was kind of unique and you're really proud of yeah so 
we we work in some pretty interesting facilities like i mentioned earlier they operate 365 you know 24 7 and uh it was interesting that i got married it's been six years now um but a lot of times when we go into facilities we have to do shutdowns they may only idle the 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 uh, building down twice a year well the night before i proposed to my wife we had a shutdown so i had several things going through my mind at that time about how do we operate you know how do we ensure that this building maintains operation and and how do i take this next jump into the chapter of my life and um you know it, it's interesting how your your personal and professional life come together but uh back to what you said sam if you find something that you have passion about that you like working it doesn't feel like work every day and and i'm fortunate to have that environment sounds like you are too so sam let's come back to you for a moment i'll ask the same question in the work the real work that goes on in what you do um, is there a story that was that sticks out as being gosh this was this was a wonderful outcome oh i've been doing this for 38 years i've got a lot of stories of, of good <laughs> outcomes and sad outcomes but i, I think I've only been the fire chief uh, since uh, 2015, the summer of 2015. So a little over four years now I've been the chief in Plano. I think the, the outcome I'm most proud of is firefighting is the ultimate team sport, number one. So the chief doesn't accomplish anything as the chief. Mm -hmm. You accomplish it through a, a team effort. And you have to go outside the fire department. So um, I, I look at the overall impact of firefighter safety uh, that the city of Plano has embraced and and funded for the firefighters and their safety and we've had a lot of initiatives that have come on we have a very robust health and safety program now uh, where we get very intensive uh, annual physicals uh, that hopefully and, and have uh, found very serious illnesses cancers heart disease and things like that at the very early stages uh, so that they can have positive outcomes uh, we have source capture for all of our fire trucks. Uh, that's the exhaust system. We have like hoses that come out of the ceiling. Andrew's company has done those as well that hook up to the, the exhaust pipe. So when you start the truck, all of those carcinogens get sucked up and filtered instead of going into the atmosphere of the truck room where the men and women are working. Um, so we've just we've had a lot of positive things that have come along. We have extractors now in all of our stations. It, it's fancy word for it's a specialized washing machine that, that washes bunker gear in an appropriate manner the way the manufacturer recommends to do it so you're getting those carcinogens out so i think in the last four years the outcome i'm most proud of is that the men and women of plano fire rescue are going to be exponentially safer on a go forward basis because of the courage that the city mm -hmm. leaders have had and the willingness to fund those initiatives because they don't necessarily come cheap but uh, the human resource is uh, often referred to as the most important resource, mm -hmm. and I'm proud to say that our officials uh, elected and city leaders, they back that up with action and not just words. You know, uh, what, may I call you Sam? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, Chief Sam. Uh, when I think about the fire stations, I remember as a little girl going to a fire station and uh, people coming up, the people that were working at the fire station made me feel like I was really important. They picked me up and then I put my children, I took them to the fire station and now I took my grandchildren to the fire station. And that has kind of been a tradition, it seems like, that just 
firemen innately are family and and of course you are because you're living together for how many hours at a time by the way different departments do it different but the overwhelming majority of the fire departments work what's called a 24 48 so you'll go to work for a 24-hour shift and then you'll be off for the next 48 and then you'll rotate back again so literally a third of your life is with your fire department family and so you know, I've been blessed to, to always say I've had two families, my, my actual family, and uh, then I've had my fire department family all these years. And so, and you truly do become a, a family. And to your point, I think firefighters tend to be gregarious people. They, they like people or they couldn't do what they're doing. And, and so, I, and I think we all relate to that little boy or little girl that mm-hmm. we were when we dreamed of being firefighters someday. So when one of them comes into the station, it's natural that, yep. that you love on them a little bit and want to show them around because that's, that could be the spark that, you know, literally makes them go on to choose that as a, as a career field. Well, now though, that you are the leader, what are some leadership uh, attributes that work for you in leading these teams? Well, I think that was key what you just said, what works for you, because I always say leaders come in all shapes, yes. sizes, mm-hmm. and different personality styles and leadership styles. What's worked for me is I think it's uh, I genuinely love people. I think that comes across that I'm a genuine person. I'm not hung up on titles. I'm not. Uh, it's not the pomp and circumstance of the position. Uh, You're authentic. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> or you wouldn't be on this show. <laughs> it, uh, well, I appreciate that. I like to think that I am. Uh, but I think my genuine uh, embracing of folks, and, and I think my leadership style is to surround yourself with, you know, as John Kennedy said, the best and the brightest, mm-hmm. and allow them to empower them to go do good things mm-hmm. and uh, just let them know that you have their back and that you support them and you know the old adage of treat those as the way you want to be treated it's not a secret formula I, I think there's a lot of uh, leaders out there that do great work and if you look at that common thread is they actually lack those that they're leading and they they truly care about them that is such an important message I don't know how anyone could miss it but if you're a leader don't you have to like the people that you're leading, right? Yes. That's that's so simple. What about you? Yeah, I, I said it very well, but um, you you do have to like those that you're working with, and you have to have a, a strong desire to to serve others and and uh, to to be there for others and uh, understand that individuals go through different circumstances mm-hmm. and to have that family type atmosphere to be able to walk through that with them and and uh, to be able to come to work every day with a smile on your face and 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 to make it better um, a, as you progress through the day so that when you leave there you've got a smile on your face um, and have battled through the, you know any adversity that come your way you know when I came over to your office Andrew as I do when I uh, feel when I go to the headquarters office Mm -hmm. there are pictures all along the wall so talking about family tell us what those pictures are if you ever have an opportunity to go into a building like this a company like this particularly if you can at TD Industries what what I see in those pictures why are they there yeah so when I look at that wall I see just a tremendous amount of experience. At TD, when you've worked there for five years, you get your picture up on the wall, and it's of active service. So five years, that's it. I get right. my picture up, five years. You know, when you walk into the fire department, I remember going in, and you see the helmets hanging up on the wall with everybody's name, and that that's kind of our helmet up there is uh, once you've been there for five years, you get your picture up there. TD's an employee-owned company, mm-hmm. uh, and that's just part. those are the owners that we have up there on the wall. So uh, it's really neat to look up there and to see partners with 
with 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, even 50 years of experience. Um, it's a really neat thing to remind yourself, you know, about every day. I can be here another 50 years. That's right. With a <laughs> smile on your face. Okay, I'm curious. Do you have any questions for Andrew? Uh, actually, I'd ask him one earlier about how long it takes to install the systems. And he, he said they can keep up with the construction, but if it's mm -hmm. already a built building, usually a couple of weeks. And I, I think that's remarkable because, I mean, it's it's technology. And anytime yeah. you have to, uh, the complexity of it, the fact they've got it down so quickly is, is uh, very comforting to know that they can get in and get out and, I guess, be minimally disruptive to existing customers that are that are utilizing that building is that correct most definitely and, th and that's a big part of why we're trying to spread the word about it i mean we're, we're installing pipe and equipment within these buildings and um what we want to do is, is help bring it in early we want to be able to help uh developers and owners and general contractors plan for early on ahead of time right because mm -hmm. as you've talked about there's there's six in plano and there's more coming mm -hmm. um but we're also seeing other jurisdictions uh adopt you know the this code and, and we want to be there to help them plan for it earlier because if we plan for it earlier we're going to save cost we're going to save time and and we're going to help meet the owner's objective which is to get that certi certificate of occupancy and, and we know that that's that's the ultimate goal here yeah. um and and really bring our expertise in so when that system hopefully it's never used but when it is used it's, it's ready mm -hmm. so i was asking uh you sam when we were talking on the phone <clears throat> about um if i were in a building any building restaurant I go out to dinner tonight and I'm in a restaurant and there's a fire alarm. I, I said to you, how do I know the best place to get out? And you said back to me, well, Valerie, where do you think you would go? And I don't know about you listeners, but here's what I said. <laughs> I said, well, I'd look for the exits. <laughs> to which you said, what? Uh, I probably, I don't necessarily remember verbatim but i probably said something to the effect of that's the wrong time to be looking for the exits you should know where <laughs> yes. the exits are at before yes. the emergency occurs mm -hmm. yes. and to know secondary or tertiary ways out of the structure uh like for a restaurant i believe i told you example is uh when everyone's running for the front door you can go for the kitchen because there's going to be an exit out of the kitchen mm -hmm. because they're not going to take the trash out where the customers are at so there's going to be a back door out uh, of the facility so you know, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, my bride, she used to get so angry, or not angry, but frustrated, because as soon as we were checking a hotel, my boy was little, the first thing I did after we unpacked, said, all right, we're going to do a fire drill, and I made him uh, come out with me and count how many doors there was between our mm. room and where the exit, where the stairwell was at, because you don't take elevators mm -hmm. in a fire, no. so you want to go to that stairwell, but to, to find it in a smoky environment is not the time to know where it's at. You want to know that it's seven doors down and to the left, for yep. example, and so... Uh, it's just a matter of having situational awareness about where you're at and uh, making sure that, uh, you know, that you know in advance if something comes up, what am I going to do? Yeah, absolutely. Really being aware when you go in any building, just heighten our awareness today, particularly today. I love what, what uh, was said. Wow, my levels are really high. Um, what you were saying about uh, children and including them in, in preparation, that's really interesting because most people think about it maybe later in life or when something happens whereas versus preparing them and making part of, oh, let's play a game. Can you count, in, instead of how many cars are going through the street, how many, you know, how many exit doors can you uh, find? Yes. Right? It, uh, that and... Uh, and just even in your own home, I mean, if I may 
do a shameless plug for the fire service on behalf of all firefighters everywhere, uh, <laughs> is that do exit drills in your home and make yeah. sure that your children know how to get out, alternate ways to get out, whether it's their bedroom window, mm -hmm. and have a meeting place. And it's imperative that the meeting place doesn't move. Mm -hmm. So like the neighbor's mailbox or a big tree, you know, don't give them a, a, something that could be transportable and not be there when the emergency happens. So that they know to get out of the house rather than to come looking for you because children mm -hmm. won't come find their parents. But their passage may be blocked, and so you want them to get out while they can. So teach them how to get out and then have a meeting place where the whole family trues up and make sure they do a head count and they have their family together. Yeah, that's really good advice. Thank you, Anna, for asking that question. And I encourage all of you to make comments, if you haven't already, uh, in the comment section. And even after the fact, maybe after the show, you think of something that maybe you'd like to know. We watch those com comments, don't we, Anna? So yes, come on, absolutely. you know, let me hear from you. And if you've got a question, I'll either address it or one of these two gentlemen. The last question I have for you before we get back to your leadership lessons that you've learned is uh, it's a stressful time, uh, in, particularly in your job. So how do you de-stress? Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, I, uh, I'm, you know, a Christian, so I think my faith uh, has a lot to do with helping me uh, de-stress. Uh, you know, like anything, you turn it over to the Lord and pray about it. Uh, I think the other thing is my family. Um, you know, I spend as much time as I can with my grandbabies and, of course, with my wife and uh, my son. And I think it's just, you know, making it a point to make sure that you stay active and that you have some hobbies or some things outside of, of work that you enjoy and, uh, and just stay focused and centered and uh, just realize that uh, bad things happen. And... Uh, you know, you have to deal with them. Don't try to suppress them. Uh, talk it out. Uh, I mean, in the fire service, that's a real, I mean, just you hit on something that's very dear to me in the fire service. Uh, we do see a lot of bad stuff, and that's probably one of the, the epidemics in our profession right now is the mental health aspect mm. and not just the physical health of our firefighters because they do see so much. So we're having to learn and we're having to teach them about how to de-stress, warning signs of someone that's being stressed out and how to cope with it. And uh you know, like I said, I've, I've just been blessed that I've got a lot of support network around mm -hmm. me and a lot of my family that has allowed me to do what I do, and they take care of me. And if they see me getting stressed, they make sure I go fish or golf or do something yeah. to take vacation. Good advice. Thank you for that. And what about you? How do you de-stress? Yeah, I, um, when I, you know, things do build up, I mean, and, and you do have stress, and it's all on how you, you manage it. Um, for myself, you know, having a good action plan of what you're going to do moving forward is, is one of the most critical things. And um, I was taught, you know, a, a lean method early on on a project of just doing a data dump and a, a, the data being whatever's on your mind mm. and just getting it all written out, written on paper and then having a plan to, to, to help back that up. And um, a lot of prayer helps on that action plan as well um in the support system that you have around you you can't do it without the loved ones around you um it doesn't always have to be those that are family uh to you um it can be just somebody close by that has an open ear uh to talk through things so um prayer family and a good plan i like both of those well besides those what i do is cook <laughs> I get in the kitchen because when I'm cooking, Hattie knows this, <laughs> you know, you're thinking about that recipe and you're trying new things and nothing is in my mind. It's just, mm -hmm. so I'm a good cook. 
<laughs> uh, this has been really interesting. I want to thank both of it. you for being on the show today and sharing some insights into this new technology, number one, and just the important part that you both play in keeping people like me safe and my family. So thank you for your service yeah. and for your leadership. You. Is there any final thing that you would tell the listeners that I call teachable points of view, lessons learned that you'd want to pass on? Anything else come to mind? So, yeah, one of TD's core values is to fiercely protect the safety of all of our partners. And um, when when we think about safety, it has to do deal with more than just an injury. Um, and you brought up the mental, you know, uh, mental condition of someone, but uh, it's more than also just those that are working on your team. It could be those, you know, customers, clients. Uh, it could be um, a family friend that you see. Um, but just being out there looking for individuals, um, if they're struggling, be be a lending hand and be a partner with them, and um, look for ways that you can improve things. Fars was that for us. On what we can do to, to add, you know, to a building and, and help uh, improve the infrastructure of a building, um, but just always be on the the outlook for what can you do to make something better or someone better. I like that. Thank you, mm-hmm. Sam. Uh, there's so much that deals with with leadership and teachable moments, but I think one of the things that I always think about is, as I said earlier, firefighting is the ultimate team sport, yeah. and so you have to really work together as a team, but. I think sometimes it's easy as a leader to think you have all the answers or that you should have all the answers and it may be the newest member of your team that actually has the the answer that you need at that moment in time so don't discount anybody on your team uh, don't think that because they have less experience that they don't may maybe possess the answer uh, and, and just look at the value that collectively mm-hmm. everybody brings and you bring all those parts together and the total is obviously going to be better than, than the individual parts. So I think embracing your entire team and don't discount anybody on that team. Uh, make sure everyone has a good voice uh, and that they're empowered to share that voice. Mm. And I'll add, thank you. I'll add one more thing to that because in, in branding work that I do, often I'm trying to help someone learn how to share their voice because not everyone will have the... Um, I don't want to say self-esteem, but confidence, the confidence that they have a voice to share. They've got a point of view. That's why I call these leadership lessons points of view. All of you have a point of view, and it needs to be heard. And from a company standpoint, isn't that something that you, as a company, should always keep in mind that the number one motivation for all people is we just want to feel valued. We Mm -hmm. want to feel like we're contributing, like we're making a difference. And so when you ask me my point of view and I'm able to give it to you, that's a win-win. So that's my point and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) I want to thank all of you for listening today. And if you haven't subscribed, please do because I so want to keep this one of Apple's top 25 business podcasts Mm -hmm. and I can only do that through your help. And if you want to know more about all of these things we've talked about today, you can look on the screen right now. Or if you're listening, I'll say it. it, You can go to tdindustries.com forward slash FARS hyphen installation. That's tdindustries.com forward slash FARS, F-A-R-S dash installation. And until next time, you stay authentic and live your brand. Bye for now. 
Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.